Um, someone said to me once, uh, oh, I, I never thought I would join a startup, um, but this seems so awesome. And I interpreted that as, um, wow, this is so cool. Like we're able to get a wider talent pool than, than, than otherwise because uh, our mission is so exciting to people. Now I would interpret that as if, if someone says I never thought I'd work at a startup, I would say, um, oh, I, I hope this person knows what they're getting into. Welcome back, everyone, to another exciting episode of Mind Gravity Podcast. Well, before we begin, I would like to recommend to all of you another exciting podcast called Geeks of the Valley. Geeks of the Valley podcast connects with some of the brightest minds globally who are leading their respective industries today and discuss the hottest upcoming industry trends and how their work is affecting the global economy. Goes without saying, my friend Kanal Thakur is doing an amazing job on that podcast, and I highly, highly, highly recommend it to you. Bringing you back to the Mind Gravity podcast today on our show is Cody Candy, the founder and CEO of Bounce, which is a marketplace for super short-term storage. Cody was previously product manager at Intuit, the makers of accounting software QuickBooks, and at the Venture Studio Factory X. On this episode. Cody and I talk about his journey up until Bounce, Bounce's genesis story, and what it actually takes to build and grow a startup, minus all the hype. So let's get going. Welcome to the Mind Gravity Podcast, Cody. Thank you. It's good to be here. Well, um, I would love to dig deep into uh, your platform, Bounce. But before we do that, we'd love to hear a little more about your background and what got you started on Bounce in the first place. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so I am a minimalist. I've been working in technology for a long time. Tons of different factors that led me to uh, creating Bounce. I started my career at Intuit, a uh, software company, uh, creators of QuickBooks, TurboTax, et cetera, um, and had the opportunity to live and work in a lot of different places. Um, I, I spent uh, some time working in London, in, in Bangalore, India, in San Diego, and then in uh, my base, San Francisco. And yeah, through this sort of adventure, through learning how to build products and, uh, you know, for, for the world and also um, just like traveling around a lot, moving around a lot, I condensed everything I owned down to three suitcases and just realized life is so much better when you don't have your things holding you back. Um, just like, you know, hey, well, there's this opportunity over here. Yeah, let's go here rather than, oh, I've got this lease. I've got this, you know, I've got to think about moving, all that kind of stuff. So I'm very much a minimalist at my core in terms of my overall life, but even how I think about like day to day, how do I have less things holding me back? Um, so yeah, basically the idea to, the idea for Bounce came to me um, first in 2014, I was getting some drinks with some colleagues after work. Someone said, Hey, I'll join, but I have to go home just to drop my bags off first. And I thought it was so crazy that we spent so much time planning our days around our things. You know, it, it costs money to take the cab or the car, uh, back to drop off your things. It takes time, you know, time is so valuable. Um, and it's, it's just, it's just a different feeling when you, um, can get around a city without your things and, and also like not have to do so much logistics around that. So that's where the idea uh, for Bounce was born, or I should say the vision for Bounce. The vision for Bounce is you can open an app, an app find a place to leave your things anywhere in the city. Uh, and then in the future, um, you know, maybe even summon someone to come pick up your stuff and then bring it back to you later, like a more of an Uber kind of delivery service on top of it. Um, but right now we built Bounce to over 100 cities 
across North America, and we're actually launching Europe this summer. Uh, we, we just put our first 40 locations live there this month. And um, you, yeah, you open our app and there's locations all over the city in most, most major cities. And you can just check in your stuff and, and, and get on with your day. That's brilliant. Now, you know, I totally connect on the uh, point when you talk about being a minimalist. I, myself, I see myself as being a minimalist too. And having moved so many places uh, across the past decade, it's so much more easier just to lock everything up, just pack it up and just move to a new city. So I totally see <laughs> why, why you choose to start this startup uh, at the first place too. Now you started the uh, Bounce app, but let's rewind a bit um, and understand a bit more about the history, the genesis of it, right? So you mentioned you were at a bar with a few friends and you know, tagging along a bunch of luggage. Um, did you find that to be a need just for yourself when you were starting it out? Or how did you proceed to kind of validate that this is something uh, other people might need? Yeah, so the need that I saw was... Um more so just seeing how common it was for people to plan their day around their things. It was like, wow, this is happening everywhere and you can see it everywhere. Uh, hey, let's go to this event after work or let's, uh, you travel to a new city. Um, let's go straight to our hotel just to drop our stuff off. Even though it's 11 AM and the hotel's way out of the way, we could have two more hours of our day back if we didn't have to do that. Um, so it was really just seeing this over and over again, but also combine that with, uh, I felt like, and still feel like, uh, most people don't see it as a problem immediately. Um, it's kind of the status quo. Um, I think in the moment, a lot of people feel it like, Oh man, I, I checked out of my Airbnb and I, um, you know, my flight's not till 8 p.m. Like now I have four suitcases. What do I do with this? You know, if, if a couple people are traveling together. Um, so I think, I think people see it when they're in like the, the, the deepest part of that. But I think that the common, the, the, the frequency of it um, to a lighter extent is, is so common. And so, um, yeah, I was sitting on this idea for a long time before I started building it. And, um, um, you know, just sort of saw over and over again thinking about it all the time. And then um, in um, a couple of years ago, my co-founder and I, I, I rang him up and said, hey, uh, we were both looking for new projects to work on our, our sort of next thing. And I was still obsessed with this idea. I said, hey, I think there's something here, but I don't quite know what the solution is yet. So we quickly prototyped together in one day a uh, like a landing page that said, you know, call us, we'll come pick up your luggage and bring it back to you. Um, this wasn't necessarily the product. This was the, the lean testing, the, 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 you know, if you read the lean startup is really what's the first hypothesis that we have. The first hypothesis is that uh, people are willing to hand over their valuables to a stranger. Um, if the answer to that is false, then we don't have anything here. Um, but if we can prove that's true, then let's keep going. So rather than trying to build a whole business, um, it's really just how do we build something that proves that hypothesis? So we put up that landing page and um, it was super awesome. On the first day, um, someone called and said, hey, can you pick, come pick up my stuff? It caught me off guard, but I was like, oh yeah, let me check with our you know, drivers and see what we can do. And then we rode over on our little city bikes and, uh, in New York and um, we, uh, um, we parked those before we went to meet her and said, uh, yeah, we're here to pick up your stuff. <laughs> it was definitely stitched together, not a, not a seamless experience, but the lady handed over her stuff and absolutely loved the service that we provided. 
And from there, we did it another 10 times before we said, okay, I think this idea is validated. Let's move on to the next assumption and, and keep nailing these assumptions until we feel like there's enough confidence to build out a, a real business here. Wow. Okay. No, I think there's a few really interesting points you mentioned. So first off, the hypothesis testing, right? So when you're designing for a hypothesis, how do you make sure, is it one person validation or how many people you need before you say like, yeah, okay, this makes sense because the needs may differ and you may get some false positives along the way uh, and you may get excited and you're like, let's go build it, but it's not the uh, uh, problem a lot of people see, but it was just one one-off case. Yeah, totally. So the minimum is, is five or six. There's a book I recommend called Sprint, which is all about running these sprint cycles, these two, one to two week cycles of, of testing things. And if you do five or six, um, you know, serving, serving customers and asking them about the experience, if they all say the same thing, then that's generally pretty conclusive. But if you did four or five and they're all so different, then you're probably going to want to narrow in on what you're trying to get at and um and 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 you still have more to learn so you might want to keep keep interviewing people keep keep uh serving more customers in an ad hoc way like this got it so you bootstrap the idea you tested a hypothesis and you then moved on to the next hypothesis but obviously okay. the road is paved with a ton of issues and problems so you you said you initially went and collected the baggage for this lady but i'm sure <laughs> you know the trust will not scale uh if that was the case and 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 the business itself would probably not scale if you were doing this for every single customer on it so how did you pave the path for uh the next phase of evolution like beyond the hypothesis aspect how do you ensure like if say tomorrow a thousand people came and uh kept their luggage with me how how would you uh, scale that? Yeah. So operating with the assumption that we proved that people will hand over their stuff to a stranger, um, you know, and we could go right around and, and bring people's stuff around. The next biggest thing that would fail the business, the next biggest hypothesis was, um, can we actually have a, um, like a delivery network that would do this for people? Can, can we actually do this efficiently? And it was me and my co-founder riding around on bikes, sweating in, in the heat. And we were thinking, you know, how many bags would we have to be moving for this to, to work out and just like having to, to leave on the drop of a dime to go and um, serve a customer was clearly difficult and, and not, um, not very scalable, not very cost effective. Um, so that was the next biggest thing. So we said, how can we, um, how, uh, basically we can say that hypothesis was a, was a um, uh, invalid, right? So then the question is now, how do we change the model a little bit to make this work. And what we did was we said, what if people dropped off their stuff inside of stores um, instead of directly to a delivery person, and then they can pick it up from another delivery point, another store um, in another neighborhood, wherever they're going to be later. Um, so then we, that was sort of V2. And this was probably like week number two of, of doing this. So we called up some stores and, and, and folks would drop their stuff in one place. And then when we moved their bags, we'd have many hours to do it. We didn't have to do it at the drop of a dime. We'd have many hours to do that. So then we said, okay, uh, let's, um, let's, let's do this model. This is, this is looking pretty good. So we served another you know dozen customers that way. And what's great about testing with customers and talking to customers all the time before you write any code is you really learn 
so much more about the customer's problems and their needs. What we learned that was unexpected was a lot of people were willing to drop off and pick up their stuff from the same location. In other words, we didn't have to do delivery at all for a large segment of customers. So we said, wow, if we can just have stores where people drop off and pick up, it's just like a self-serve model um, with no delivery, that would be so easy to build. So uh, we said, that's our MVP. That's our version one. We're going to build this network of stores where people can just go drop off and pick up their bags. Um, later on, we'll look at, uh, you know, adding delivery back in, but we can really scale up this model and it's a lot easier. So then we started serving customers. We sort of had uh, that MVP, that no code MVP that we put up and uh, served another dozen customers there um, before we had that confidence to say, um, this is it. This is, uh, this is what we're going to get started with and we're going to start writing code and invest in, in this product. Fascinating, right? So along this short journey that you have described so far, you have changed multiple different hats, all the way from the ideation guy to testing, uh, you know, the design thinking guy to actually selling it to your potential partners or retailers where people can come mm -hmm. in store. How do you think your past jobs, and you've primarily been, as you've been a software developer with Intuit and some of the- uh, Product manager. Or product manager. So how do you think that um, set you up on this entrepreneurial journey? Like what were the key ingredients that you found very useful that shaped um, this journey that you're currently on? Yeah, uh, well, I feel like I got super lucky because when I joined Intuit in 2012, it was right after the book, The Lean Startup came out. Intuit was one of the big companies that was really embracing the Lean Startup. So literally day one of my training, my product management training at Intuit was, um, you know, let's do these Lean Startup exercises where literally we come up with ideas, you know, an uh, hour one, and then hour three, we're out at like local businesses around the city and um, like talking to them, interviewing them and giving them a pseudo experience. So um, I was super lucky that right when I started my career, I was doing a lot of this sort of um, lean testing and, and really thinking, you know, how do we, um, how do we validate things before building out the product? So much time and, and, and money is wasted on building products that are, are built wrong when you could have tested and learned what you needed to learn without shipping it. Um, the first time. Um, so it's, it's really how do we learn as much as possible before writing any code so that the first version will actually get traction because it seems pretty inevitable that more than 90% of the time, um, any product that gets built, especially any new product that gets built does not, um, uh, how users interact with it is never exactly how you think it will be. And so the idea is let's shortcut that learning before we actually build it. So that was a big part of, uh, my job as a product manager. And so um, I was lucky enough to get a lot of uh, uh, training wheels and, and experience doing that before starting Bounce. Got it. And I'm, I'm going to go even before your time as a, um, you know, in your professional journey, you know, a lot of people think about starting their own startup or project and uh, they want to get started as soon as possible. So did you think you always had a, uh, you know, starting your own venture or being an entrepreneur on the map since you were growing up or it just fell in your lap because you found a problem that needed to be solved? Yeah, I actually uh, did have the bug all along. Um, I, uh, I had some little businesses I started in high school, uh, eBay business where I would sell Game Boy games imported from China on eBay. Um, I had an underglow business. Underglow is the, the lights underneath a car. I would buy those from a manufacturer and then sell those in my town. Um, and uh, then when I went to college, I started a couple of businesses there. 
Um, one was called Goodmate, which was a, an app for managing all chores, IOUs, bills with roommates. Um, and then um, also a, a web tech consultancy. Um, so uh, yeah, when I was leaving college, I was deciding what I wanted to do. And, and the biggest thing was, you know, what's, what's going to give me the best uh, training wheels to be an entrepreneur. Um, and, and also, uh, um, yeah, I, I could have been an entrepreneur right out of college, but I, um, I, I felt like there was so much more to learn and, and into it was a really exciting opportunity for me that I just felt like would set me up for success. It would also allow me to uh, pay off my student loans and, uh, and, and get some money in the bank so I could uh, fully be an entrepreneur. <laughs> uh, that, that's exciting. So yeah, it seems like you had already put down the seeds to, uh, towards this journey. So now coming back to where we left off as you were partnering up with retailers where people can go and store their uh, luggage. What was your sales pitch to them like? Like, hey, uh, we have these customers and they want to store stuff with you and just make sure <laughs> they come and get their stuff when they want. So what was the yeah. reaction to that? Yeah, it was pretty pretty gnarly. It was a trial, trial and error. But um, a fun story of kind of how it started was uh, we put up a landing page that said, yeah, we have stores all over New York. Um, just call us and, and we'll, we'll set you up. And so one of our first calls on, on that prototype was, um, hey, I'm looking, someone said, someone called, hey, I need a, a place in Upper East Side. Uh, what locations do you have there? And I said, uh, let me check and call you back in 15 minutes. And then um, in that 15 minutes, I called all these stores until I got one that said, yes, I'll take, I'll take uh, three bags for, for today. And, okay. bags. <laughs> and then I called the customer back within that 15 minutes. And I said, oh, yeah, we have a store, Upper East Side. It's at 77th Street in Lexington. Um, I'll actually be there as well because we're just opening that store for the first time. And then uh, I would bike over to that store. I would prep the store and say, hey, yeah, I know this is super weird, but uh, like, thanks for doing this. Um, you'll make your, you know, 15 bucks or whatever. Um, and then the customer would come in, the store would handle it. I'd tell the store what to do beforehand. And then afterwards, I'd come out and I'd talk to the customer. I'd say, hey, uh, so like, tell me about your experience finding bounce, using bounce, what made you almost not want to use bounce, just trying to learn everything I could. Um, and then afterwards, I would tell the store, like, hey, is this something you'd want to do ongoing? And sometimes they'd say yes, sometimes they'd say no. Um, no is often like, oh, I need to talk to the owner, blah, blah, blah. And then sometimes things just get lost in the chain there. Um, but yeah, I, I was spending a lot of time walking around New York, just finding good locations. Um, some of them were like, get the hell out of my store. What are you doing? Some of them were like, oh, this is such a great idea. Uh, like this is going to be huge. Um, so I got all kinds of responses, but it definitely took a lot of, um, um, a lot of, uh, uh, being comfortable with the rejection. That's for sure. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think after a while you you have to have that thick skin where you're okay being rejected uh on on the journey for sure um so very fascinating so you started on ideation and you built had some initial product market fit what was next on this journey was raising capital the next big step because you're like okay now things have seemed to be working on and we have strappily but efficiently have kind of uh, built it all together so what was next on the uh plan yeah, so once we built the, the product with code, um, then we just tried to serve as many customers as possible and that started scaling and we, uh, um, going from $0 a month to like, even just going to like $2,000 a month was a lot of like, oh shoot, this thing's breaking here. How do we make sure this is smooth here? So it was a lot of just like triaging things and, and making sure it would all work. Um, and then um, 
uh, from there it was like, oh yeah, I think we can really scale this up. And so let's start to think about fundraising and what that would look like. And so what was learning from folks, you know, what were the questions they had on their mind? And some of them were like, oh, how big is this market? Um, oh, is this a New York City only problem? And so, uh, you know, I was pretty convinced that uh, all this was going to work, but I, I realized these conversations would be a lot easier if I um, proved it out. So my co-founder and I, we decided to um, relocate to San Francisco and launch San Francisco. Um, people were like, oh, yeah, this will only work in New York. We're like, no, it'll work everywhere, but here we're going to prove it. So we went to San Francisco. We launched San Francisco in a week um, and had revenue immediately. And, um, and people, people also loved it in San Francisco and use it in San Francisco. So then we said, yeah, yeah, this, see this, the scales, this works. Um, and then from there we started, um, uh, putting together a fundraise and, and did our, our first fundraise, but it was at least, at least six months that we were fully bootstrapped. Uh, okay. So this was back in 2018 that you moved to San Francisco as well. That's right. That's right. And your two pilot cities in that case were New York and San Francisco or where you're okay. okay. yeah, So I, I read you guys raised about $1.2 million from uh, structured capital and Michael Hyatt, who's a Canadian entrepreneur as well. And Rob Chestnut, right? Yeah, from a bunch of uh, angel investors and it was Jillian Manis from structured capital. Um, and then, um, yes, yeah, so we've got some fantastic entrepreneurs in there, some really strategic folks, um, some, some investors that have been really great to work with. Yeah. Um, so how do you choose what angel investors and investors to bring on board when you're such in a hyper scaling mode? Um, you know, you want to bring in partners, but they'd be uh, core business related or people who are going to be investing in you. How do you mm -hmm. get that the investors who come on actually bring in the value? Yeah. So the number one source of, of that knowledge is um, talking to other founders. So you can talk to other founders who have taken money from them and say, you know, how helpful is this person? How are they to work with? And so, um, yeah, we, we heard some really good feedback on uh, um, some of the investors that we brought on. And um, even just meeting them in person, you can tell when they're like, they'll sit down with you for a couple of hours and just like jam on problems. Um, there are there are investors, plenty of investors that are, um, you know, just want to write a check and then they're there whenever you want to reach out. And that's also great. Um, but uh, yeah, we, we were happy to get some folks who were down to like do jam sessions with us whenever we needed them. Got it. Um, yeah, I think one of the things that I've noticed, especially during the early stages, um, you know, founders bring on investors who only provide capital or just provide uh, small capital, but little um, value. And they, they go through a long due diligence process along the way as well. So that really tires you out and takes your focus away from um, building the product itself. So I think um, the process you find around like doing a due diligence and asking other founders makes a ton of sense. And um, along the way, if there are positive feedback, you want to bring them on. And I think that's, that's a feedback any founder listening to this can also take out is that's, that's a must. All right. So now you have secured capital. So at this point, it's just you and your co-founder or do you have a team that's starting to build around this too? Yeah. So it was myself, my co-founder, and then we had hired our first employee. Okay. Uh, and that's based out in San Francisco as well. Uh, yeah. She moved out to San Francisco to join the team. Gotcha. And this capital that you just raised, you were going to use this primarily, I'm guessing, to um, scale the product as well as the team? 
Uh, yeah, that's right. That's right. So basically, uh, next on the product roadmap was getting the mobile apps out. Um, the web app was like, yeah, let's code something together that'll uh, that'll get us, you know, the first level of scale. Um, but really, uh, you know, what is that sort of tightly buttoned product that users are just like, wow, this is this is well built. This is a company that I trust. Um, trust is so important in our business because we're handling people's safe valuables as well. So. Um, yeah, we started building out um, the the real product, um, and then um, so we hired another engineer a couple months after that. Uh, hired a designer a few months later. Hired someone to help with customer support, and um, and then hired another engineer after that, and just started really building things out and scaling up. Gotcha. So now you're slowly but steadily with the scale that the product is showing, the team's growing, the capital is there. Um, I think one big question mark. Uh, that especially early stage companies have is who to hire. Um, mm. And that becomes a critical part of the company either succeeding or failing at the uh, onset, right? Because cool. uh, you want to hire people who uh, are in sync with the idea or the vision of the founders, because at this point, it's very close to what you're trying to achieve. And it's not uh, an enterprise at this point. So how do you make sure you hire the right people? What's the uh, framework um, that you used or it was more um, on the fly yeah it's the hardest thing and it uh it, i don't think it can get harder than doing it at the very early stages because at the very early stages the roles are so broad you need people who could do everything um, and the roles are just constantly changing and so you know, at a big company, we'll take the sales function, for example, at a big company, uh, sales team will have, uh, you know, the lead generation team, they'll have the, um, the, the inbound sales team, the outbound sales team, the onboarding team, the sales enablement team, they'll have all these different teams. And in a startup like bounce, all those, all those roles are just one person, and they have to be good at all of that. And it's much, much, much harder to find that and much harder to hire for that. Um, if you are, you know, uh, hiring someone at a big company like Yelp, you know, oh, does this person, has this person done inside sales before? Great, we have an inside sales role for you. Come on board. Whereas with Bounce, it's like, have you done these 10 things before? And the answer is almost always no. <laughs> and then it's like, okay, well, what's their aptitude to learn? Um, how, how fast of a learner will they be? How aligned are they? Um, and it's, 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 it's just really, really challenging. And then even if you get it right right now, um, six months later, the role may be a little different. And, and, and if they don't adapt, then it's, um, it's, it's, you know, you're kind of back where you started. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, I think it's really about hiring for, for aptitude and, and potential and quick learning, uh, and just being super aligned with the mission. And how does your role as a founder change or align with it? Because previously you're focused all on building product and sales, but now you're also responsible for bringing in people who aligns with that vision. And a lot of time when I talk to founders, they're like, okay, that's the hardest part. Someone else should do it. But mm -hmm. that's not the way uh, you'll be able to bring in the right people. So how did you think your role changed? And also, and I'll come up with a follow-up question, but let's start with that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, my role is, is constantly changing. Um, when it's time to do a fundraise, it's it's a whole different role. It's just, you know, you're a, a, a full-time networker and just like meeting lots of folks and chatting with other founder friends about, you know, how, what their last fundraise looked like and just getting, learning as much as you can and then getting super analytical and putting, 
your whole model together and, and all of that. And it's, it's like the most, um, uh, it's just a whole different level of being analytical while also like being very social. Um, whereas when you're in build mode, maybe you're kind of an introvert, just like, you know, shipping product and, and just like hunkered down, just, just, um, uh, building. Um, and then yeah, hiring is a, is a totally different thing. It, it go it, it goes to a completely different pace where, you know, um, you can't just, um, you can't work twice as many hours in a day and hire someone twice as fast. Um, you're, you're looking at other people's schedules. You're looking at, um, um, you know, you might, you may find the perfect candidate, but you, you might not be able to interview them for a few days, or maybe you want to get 20 candidates in the pipeline before you have a good calibration of what you want for the role. So it's, it's just a whole different frequency that you're operating on. Got it. And, and typically also what we notice, so there's a challenge obviously on the founder hiring the right person, but some, sometimes the mismatch also happens when the person comes on, um, thought of the job as being something else, but are doing completely different things, right? Um, how do you, like, did you have any exp um, experience along those lines where you had to, uh, you know, calm down <laughs> and employee be like, okay, yes, we hired you for X, but these are also the six or seven other things that you, when that's being expected of you. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, anyone who's had one job and, and not five jobs and not zero jobs, um, uh, one or two jobs, we'll say they, um, they, their idea of what other jobs will be like will be very similar to their last job. And so um, you can tell someone what, uh, you know, how this may be different and whatnot, but um, uh, it's, it's really hard to um, understand it if you only have one comparison point, for example. And so, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's really challenging. And I think, um, I, I don't think there's a playbook to get to, to um, like avoid all the mistakes here. Um, there are things that I've learned that I would do differently, but like only, I'm sure there are a million and you just kind of build that, that, you know, gut instinct. Um, for example, um, someone said to me once, uh, oh, I, I never thought I would join a startup, um, but this seems so awesome. And I interpreted that as, um, wow, this is so cool. Like we're able to get a wider talent pool than, than, than otherwise because uh, our mission is so exciting to people. Now I would interpret that as if, if someone says, I never thought I'd work at a startup, I would say, um, oh, I, I hope this person knows what they're getting into. Um, and, and knows that it's it's just completely different from uh, the type of job that I, I mentioned before, where it's you know ten roles in one, uh, ten roles versus one role. Wow. Yep. No, I, I think that um, misunderstanding of what the expectation is is very common, uh, especially this early in the phase. But I'm glad you have a framework and a support network that kind of allows you to learn from it. Um, so now moving on. So in 2018, you raised capital and then you're growing along well. Um, and now you have expanded uh, beyond New York and San Francisco uh, mm -hmm. at this point as well, because that's part of the trajectory. Um, and then end of 2019, we hit a, a roadblock at a global level, right? And a lot of your business um, is dependent upon tourism and people traveling and people storing their stuff. But now over the, well, 2020, can, it's, it's part of the cancel culture, I think at this point, like um, no one's traveling, uh, no one's flying around. Um, what was that like when you're growing in such an early stage, having a steady stream of revenue, in fact, uh, in hyperscale mode, and all of a sudden you hit the brakes and nothing's moving? Yeah, it was, it was absolutely surreal. You know, uh, 
the news was coming out, you know, this thing could be big, this coronavirus thing could be big. And um, um, our numbers kept ticking up, kept ticking up. Uh, we're like, okay, maybe this is going to affect our, our international travelers. Um, numbers kept ticking up. And we're, we were, we were taking it seriously. We we're like, you know, this is, this is, this looks pretty real and um, kept going up, kept going up. And then it, like one week it just completely dropped and went to zero. It was, um, it was, uh, it was when the WHO announced that it was a pandemic that week. It would just, it just, you know, the trajectory just boom, just fell flat on the floor. So um, it was crazy. It was like, wow, is this, um, is this, uh, this, this is dramatic, right? A, a 20% dip for companies is, is catastrophic oftentimes, but this was a 99% dip. And uh, there's like, there's nothing that really compares to that. Um, and being a, a tech company instead of a, like a brick and mortar business is probably even harder because, um, um, you know, if, if you have a, a barber shop, the, it's, it's, it's much more like, okay, the barbers aren't working now because there's no customers or a hair salon or a restaurant or whatever it is. Um, but in, in tech, um, or, or at least with, with our team, it was like, we still have our full staff and we, um, you know, no one is really going home because there's no more people whose hair is, is out there to cut. Um, if, if you follow me on that metaphor, um, so, um, yeah, it was, it was pretty gnarly because, um, we were, we had, uh, grown the team with the expectation of a future, uh, growth. And then we hit this roadblock. We don't know how temporary or long-term it's going to be. So, um, yeah, it was, it was a challenging situation. Yeah, no, I, I could imagine, especially given that you act as an interface between your end consumer and the partners where people are actually storing, and all of that is coming to a halt, right? Because the stores are shutting down, people are not traveling, so you have nothing in terms of storage uh, uh, platform that you can uh, supply to your consumers, but you still need a product um, or something of functioning, hoping things would change. Um, mm -hmm. So how did you adjust to that new reality. So what was the next best step forward? Yeah, so we had a few roles we were gonna hire for and we immediately uh, took those away. Um, we said, uh, you know, we need to, to wait this out and see what happens a little bit before we add people whose jobs might be at risk if we were to hire them right away. Um, so that was one thing. Um, and then um, from there, we cut non-personnel expenses um, and then uh, also, there were a couple of folks who took some some uh, time off that, that uh, was unpaid by the company. Um, and so that helped. And it was just kind of like, how much time do we want to give ourselves to um, develop our knowledge and, and confidence of what is going to happen in the world and how long this might last? If it was a three-month blip and everything came back after that, which folks at the time thought was a, a possibility, um, then we don't want to do anything too drastic. But if things were going to be down and, and affected for many, many months or years to come, um, you know, it would be foolish to be operating as if it's going to be full capacity um, and at full cost structure. Um, and so it was really, okay, how long do we want to wait until, um, when do we want to actually make this decision? Because each day that came brought so much more knowledge. Um, you know, each day it's, okay, here's what's happening in Italy, which was hit, you know, much earlier than the U.S. with coronavirus. How are they recovering? How is this getting worse? And so, um, yeah, we, we um, uh, with folks taking some, some unpaid time off, that helps with um, buying ourselves some of that time. And then um, 
I think after after a couple of weeks, it was just pretty clear that um, this wasn't going to be a three month thing. And so uh, we ended up letting go of two of our team members um, and, uh, and 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 it, it, uh, it worked out uh, OK there. Um, and the rest of the team really stepped up and um, and uh, yeah, stepped up to the plate and, and put in their best work. So um, it was tough um, and it was, it was hard saying bye to, to these two teammates, but um, um, it was pretty necessary given the, the situation. And uh, now we have a, you know, everyone is super pumped up and, and we're, um, we're much, we're, we definitely feel the, the leanness to our team in terms of everyone's doing a lot of stuff and it's, it's really exciting. Um, but it still is a bit of a gamble. It's still like, Hey, uh, yeah, we are right now. Our, our big bet is that uh, we can launch Europe pretty quickly and earn some revenue there um, and, and get things going there really fast. Um, but our revenue needs are lower given our, our costs are lower. So we're in a pretty good spot now. And how many people did you have before the, pandemic at how many people were on the payroll around that time that you had to take care of yeah um it's funny it's actually kind of hard to count because there's employees there's contractors there's full-time contractors part-time folks but uh uh let's see in the u.s five or six in the u.s and then uh, a couple three or three or four four more abroad um and then I, I might actually be missing a part-time person or two. Yeah, there's an intern as well. Um, so under 10 people in total. Um, and uh, um, yeah, and, yeah, we, we spent a lot of time building the whole team as well. Luckily, it was, it was, we've been able to maintain most of the team. Uh, but uh, um, yeah, I had to say bye to, to two people. How do you communicate that, right? You're already a pretty lean team. Um, on one hand, you have to take care of your team's morale. And the other mm-hmm. hand, you are letting go of two people that, uh, you know, intrinsically kind of impacts the team's morale too. So how do you convey that news to the two people that, hey, we have to let you go, but the other people uh, stay on? And how do they yeah. take that? Well, the, the big advantage that we have is being small. Um, we and, and I can have a one-on-one relationship with every employee. Mm-hmm. When Airbnb had to lay off 2,000 people or whatever it was, uh, you know, uh, not everyone's going to get a lot of like one-on-one attention there. Um, so for here, I could literally talk to each person who, whose role was in the two people whose roles were impacted um, as well as every other person on the team and, and tell them like, I believe in you and I believe in, in this and you know, blah, blah, blah. But um, you know, I, I think, I think it's pretty straightforward. We're a travel company in the middle of a pandemic. Like yeah. everyone around us is, is losing their jobs right now. And like, our business is probably more impacted than the guy, you know, who lost their job. So I think that, um, you know, people were pretty realistic about it, about knowing that this is, um, this is, this is the reality of the situation. It's not that we lost 10% of our revenue. It's that we lost 99%, at least temporarily. Um, so there was some understanding there, but it's also really difficult. Um, you know, in one conversation, there were tears. Another conversation, it was, um, um, I could I could feel a, a lot of negativity, uh, and, and rightfully so. It's a very tough thing. So um, yeah, each 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 one is handled so so individually. Yeah, yeah. I think managing expectations, especially in these turbulent times. But now at this stage, you're still an early stage company and trying to grow. Um, obviously, you've been hit hard. The revenues have been impacted. Um, I'm getting since you have still have people on your payroll, your cash is burning out. 
Um, so what was your forecast in terms of how long you could last? And I'm guessing there must be some conversation along the way that you need to raise capital. Otherwise the startup's going to go under. Um, yeah, well, we're, we're a pretty small team. And what that means is that we can really, um, we can, we really have a whole lot more options than, uh, than, than bigger companies would have. Um, so for example, we have one, uh, we have a, a couple of folks who were open to the idea of taking unpaid time off. Um, and so, yeah, we'll last as long as, uh, as long as we need to by, by, um, you know, folks stepping up and, and doing what they need. But we also made sure that we, uh, we had, a um, you know, uh, enough cash reserves to uh, maintain normalcy and, and be uh, um, in a solid position for at least through 2020 and then actually uh, beyond 2020. So um, we're in a, a good position there. Got it. And did you even try to raise capital around this time or just being in a cash conservation mode? Yeah, we didn't need it. Um, uh, we maybe would be open to it, but uh, um I think it's just kind of, you know, valuation dilution comes into play and, and, uh, we're, you know, we have things under pretty good control now. And so, um, uh, yeah, we're, we're, we're open to it, but we, we're not spending time on it because it's, it's, it's not necessary. We just need to, I think we can put that effort towards building the business and building revenue back up and, and actually catch up to, uh, catch up to our expenses in a, a reasonable amount of time. Got it. Got it. Okay. Yep. I think a lot of uh, startups that are trying to raise capital right now are seeing a price cut uh, in their valuations yeah. too. So I think it would probably be safe to say if you can last uh, last out this year um, would probably make a ton of sense. Um, so now that you have come, now that you know this is probably kind of the status quo or the new reality, if you will, uh, how you're shaping a bounce for the future? Yeah, same as before. For the most part, um, uh, we see this as a fifty-plus year company, and so uh, a one or two-year bump in the road is not that big of a deal in the grand scheme of things. So, um, yeah, what's different now is that uh, uh, we're moving at a slower pace on some things, um, simply just to save costs. Um, we are f doubling down on Europe right now because Europe is recovering from. The, the, the pandemic situation much, much faster than the U.S. And we're looking at uh, charts, uh, traffic patterns over there and they're just recovering so much faster. So um, that's probably going to be where most of our revenue comes from this fall. Um, and so we're doubling down to make sure we can capture that now. Um, and then, um, yeah, we, we've always had a lot of big ideas around how the platform evolves. I mentioned delivery before, but there are, are things beyond that as well. And so we also think about, you know, what is... Um, what are, what, how do we build our platform to be able to um, absorb more and more use cases um, so that we, uh, we can really be this, this, this platform within cities for how people interact with their things and luggage storage being just, just one of those things. Uh, I think uh, that, that makes a ton of sense, especially given like Europe is opening up much faster than uh, states, but that's the right direction to go for sure. Um, so now we have charted your entire, uh, you know, past and the future and know a lot about the present. Um, I'm sure not everything was rosy and has come across uh, during the conversation as well. There were a lot of, a lot of roadblocks. What would you say were sort of your biggest roadblocks or failures? What was the biggest learning and how would you have done things differently if you had to redo that? Within bounce? Within bounce or, or the journey up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's, um, you know, I, I can look back with hindsight and, and tell you what I would do differently. Um, but uh, 
I think given the information I had at the time, I, I think, um, I think those two things are, are very different, but with the hindsight, with what I've learned since, um, hiring is just the, the, the most critical and, and challenging thing, uh, just really getting the right people on board. Um, also nailing a distribution strategy up front, I, I think is really key. You know, I think if, if you go into a business knowing, if you go into a business knowing exactly how you're going to build it and exactly what that looks like, and you just execute on that, um, you can get out of the door really fast and, and, and grow something really quickly. However, uh, like we were saying in the beginning with the lean startup methodology, um, you can get off to a start without actually testing things and build the wrong thing and go really fast down the wrong direction. And then you've lost significantly more time. So it's, it's hard to really judge and say, you know, what, what would I do differently? Um, but now, like if I could just, if 2020 Cody could talk to 2018 Cody, um, there's so many things where it would just be like, Oh yeah, do this, do that, do that, do that. And we would just be uh, in a whole different place. <laughs> no, I, I totally agree. It's easier to, you know, uh, hindsight is always 2020. Um, I wish I'd done that. I wish I'd not done that, but I totally understand that point of view. Um, Great. No, Cody, I think this was a great conversation and we are coming to the end of this segment as well. But before we leave, um, how can listeners listening to this podcast uh, reach out to you? Uh, yeah, so I think all my social media handles are Cody Candy, C-O-D-Y-C-A-N-D-E-E, um, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, everything. Um, and uh, yeah, Bounce is at usebounce.com. Um, if you just search bounce, uh, if, if you can link to usebounce.com in the, in the notes, that'll be helpful. Um, so, uh, yeah, we're all over the U S and we're going to be all over Europe pretty soon and, and beyond after that. So, um, look us up and, uh, use, use bounce whenever you, uh, need to store your bags when you're traveling or going out and about in town. Of course that's impacted a bit right now with the pandemic, but, uh, things will eventually turn around. Yep. No, absolutely. I'll have all that information in the notes. And I love to travel myself. So next time I'm, I'm out and about, um, hopefully in the next few months or maybe next year, definitely use Bounce and so would our listeners. Um, again, thank you so much, Cody, for your time. It was lovely talking to you. A lot of great insights. Yeah, so great chatting with you, Rohan. This is fun. Every amazing story has an end. And our today's show has come to an end. But what an exciting story. What an exciting journey for Cody and his startup Bounce. I'm sure you guys learned a lot, so have I, and I continue to build upon these exchanges that I have with founders and VCs and innovators within the startup world. If you have any questions, any comments about the show, or would like to participate, don't hesitate to reach out. We will be back with an exciting new episode next week. Until then, namaste.